0: So this second Sunday of Easter that we're in kind of builds, as I was telling the kids, on the surprising and joyful good news that we celebrated last week. The good news that our Lord Jesus, who was once dead, is now very much alive. And it's really, it's one of those times, it's one of those seasons uh, of the church year that we kind of hold in tension. It's the tension between our understanding of the piety of Christ's sacrifice on the one hand, uh, and on the other, the pure joy that, that fills our hearts so full, uh, it's a wonder we just don't all break out into laughter because of the revolutionary, radical, crazy kind of love that took our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, not just to the cross, but raised Him to life again in the empty tomb of Easter. And we're going to be looking at that again today, uh, another account of Christ's resurrection, Uh, but this time it's the one given to us in the Gospel of John chapter 20. So hear now the words of the true and living God. John writes, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying, the angels asked her. Because they've taken away my lord she replied and i don't know where they've put him she turned to leave and saw someone standing there it was jesus but she didn't recognize him dear woman why are you crying jesus asked her who are you looking for she thought it was the gardener sir she said if you've taken him away tell me where you've put him and i'll go and get him mary jesus said mary she turned to him and cried out rabboni which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I've seen the Lord. And she gave them his message. And you know, when you read that at at first glance, uh, you you almost have to laugh and, and, and think... but. But wait wait a minute now. Mary had spent countless hours with Jesus, right? She'd eaten with Him. She'd, she'd walked with Him. She'd talked with Him. And now she goes out to give expression to this deep mourning that she's experiencing from her loss of His companionship, and she doesn't see Him standing right in front of her. She doesn't get it. She can't wrap her mind around it. Jesus is right in front of her, close enough for her to reach out and touch. And, and she still didn't understand what she was seeing. That ever happened to anybody? Yeah. It's almost like the time that a, a minister decided that he was, uh, needed a visual demonstration to help emphasize his Sunday sermon on the dangers of, of falling into the sins of vice. So he took uh, four earthworms that he had dug up from the churchyard that morning uh, and he put them in four separate jars. So The, the, the first worm he put into a container of alcohol. Second worm he put into a container of cigarette smoke. The third worm he put into a container of chocolate syrup. And the fourth worm, we well, he got to go into a container of good, clean soil. And we're just left to sit there uh, in front of the congregation. The pastor gave his message. And at the conclusion of the sermon, he went back to the jars and he reported the following results. So he picked up the first jar and he said, see, uh, the first worm in the alcohol, dead. Second worm in the cigarette smoke, also dead. The third worm in the chocolate syrup, dead. But now the fourth worm, this guy here in the good, clean soil, he's alive. And so the minister asked the congregation, he said, so, what did you learn from this demonstration and nobody answered. He was just looking at, at blank stares in the crowd and, and until one little lady sitting in the back row quickly raised her hand and said, Oh, pastor, pastor, I know. The moral is that as long as you drink, smoke and eat chocolate, you won't ever get worms. <laughs> 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 She didn't get it, did she? <laughs> you see, nobody in the congregation that day got it, right? They didn't understand what they were being asked, and neither did Mary at the tomb, right? She, she didn't understand what she was being asked to believe the unbelievable. Because, you see, she just couldn't wrap her mind around what Jesus had done and what he had accomplished, Because it didn't look like what anyone expected from the Messiah. The resurrection didn't fit into the stubborn mold of her traditions. It wasn't religion as usual. And on that first Easter weekend, no one really understood the information they were given or how to respond to it correctly or how to feel. So that most of those first recipients of the good news of the resurrection became almost giddy from the flood of confusion and relief at seeing their risen Lord. Uh, You know, it's almost that feeling when you're so sure you know what's supposed to happen next and then wham, out of nowhere comes the unexpected and you just almost feel like you're going to break out and laugh. And that's not a bad thing because it's one of the ways, laughter is one of those ways that God has given us as a release valve. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like to live in a world without laughter? Laughter. I can't and as I told you last week anybody that uh, that is around me for longer than half an hour knows I can't resist a good laugh especially at myself And if a good healthy sense of humor is a gift from God as surely it is And if we are made in God's image as definitely we are I don't think it's wrong to assume that God himself has a great sense of humor Because joy and laughter are mentioned all throughout the scriptures Right. Psalm 2, verse 4 says, The one who rules in heaven laughs. Proverbs 17, 22 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine. John sixteen, thirty-three. Jesus himself says, Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And joy and laughter not only are mentioned all throughout Scripture, but they're universal in world cultures. Because God made us that way. He ingrained our DNA with a capacity for humor. And I believe that when he came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, that he embodied that truth as well. Did you ever have a friend who was just the life of the party? Right? You know, someone who just makes a good gathering into a great gathering just by showing up. Uh, Someone who's so so winsome and, and genial and fun to be with that you just love to spend time with them well our lord jesus was that kind of person the scriptures attest to it in fact one of the greatest criticisms leveled against him was that he had too much fun if that's possible he was labeled a glutton and a drinker of wine and a friend of tax collectors and sinners and partiers right our lord jesus was completely at home at festive events Remember, he accepted an invitation to the wedding at Cana, and he's the one who restocked the wine when the host ran out. John 15, 11, he spoke of his own joy, and he promised to give his disciples, that's us, a lifetime supply of it. In Mark chapter 2, he's the one that told the religious leaders that his disciples couldn't sit around fasting and putting on long faces while he was there with them. So it's no wonder that those stuff shirt Pharisees who were only serious all the time plotted to have Jesus taken out of the picture. He couldn't be allowed to go on indefinitely standing everything on its head and, and making their piety look ridiculous. They couldn't allow their carefully crafted man-made traditions look laughable and oh, they hated Jesus' sermon illustrations. They hated them. Like the ones that poked fun at their pride and their pompousness while at the same time explaining to people exactly what the kingdom of god was like like when jesus talked about a a holier-than-thou man who blew trumpets before he put a few bucks in the collection box or camels that try to go through the eyes of needles Uh, not to mention teasing them about the camel-sized sins that they swallowed so easily and then choked on a tiny little gnat and worse yet jesus told stories about idle workers who were given a full day's pay and Stewards who were successful cheats. Prodigal sons who were welcomed back home with open arms. And so those sad sack Pharisees stomp off in a huff and plot to make this merry maker named Jesus disappear. They just didn't get him, did they? But you know, at the same time, the Bible tells us Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit and he said, Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you. Thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing it to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Uh, Because God had the last laugh after all, didn't he? Just just picture it with me. Uh, Just picture, here's Caiaphas, the high priest, and all of his crowd. And then you've got Pilate and Herod and all of theirs, and they're they're sitting really smugly in this ridiculous state of uh, grave and dignified self-congratulation over Jesus' death. Right? Thinking that they've done their religious and civil duty by disposing once and for all of this man that they considered a dangerous troublemaker. And now with him safely dead and decorum restored, they can concentrate once more on the really serious matters to which their lives were dedicated. Lining their own pockets and staying in power. And no, they weren't in the House of Representatives. But behind their backs behind their backs without them having the slightest inkling of what was going on their very action and participation in the death of our Lord had a big hand in bringing about the very thing that they feared the most and that was the triumph of Jesus Christ and so now the joke as it were was on them and the disciples of Jesus who were hiding out in fear and sadness are about to receive a surprise guest that's going to put a smile on their face that nothing in the world could ever wipe away. We're going to continue the reading, John chapter 20, verse 19. This is that Sunday night, that Sunday evening. The disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And one of the twelve disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, We've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The door was locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand in the the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Thomas exclaimed, my Lord, my God. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these, these are written so that you, so that we may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing in him, that you will have life by the power of his name. Because you know, when Jesus shows up, everything changes, right? When Jesus shows up, he brings peace and joy with him. When Jesus shows up, he brings us a whole new perspective. Because until that resurrection appearance, remember, Jesus' disciples were confused too. They were scared. And they didn't completely understand nor fully believe in Jesus' physical and bodily return. But notice what happened there in verse 20. So now Jesus is here. He's standing in the room and he spoke to the disciples and he showed them the wounds in his hand and his side. And the text said they were filled with joy. And how could they not be? They knew Jesus had been crucified. They knew Jesus' body had been placed in a tomb. They knew he'd been wrapped in linen strips up to his head and soaked in myrrh-infused resin. But now, seeing Jesus, they realized death is not the end. It's not the end. Just imagine how they felt. Just imagine putting yourself in their place for a minute. In his book, uh, Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis gives a good description of this feeling, this emotion I'm getting at here. He writes, it's the mind-blowing, heart-stopping, skin-prickling, lung-filled joy of knowing in that instant a unity with God and with all his creation. And the feeling that cemented solid assurance that God is in charge and that Jesus is alive, surprising us with joy. And as I told the kids, joy and laughter are right at the heart of Easter. Do you remember I started out today by uh, pointing out that folks that know me know I love to laugh, and if you know me, you also know I'm a history buff. And those two things together um, combined about three years ago to help rediscover this kind of long-hidden gem in the traditional liturgy, and that's Holy Humor Sunday that we're celebrating today. <clears throat> because as I said, there's a very strong theological link between the season of Easter and laughter it actually turns out uh, that there's ample historical evidence that in the early days of the church the Easter sermon began with a joke that's really true you know but in our day somehow we have this misguided notion that we have to walk around with these long faces and somber demeanors to be a christian right we have to to walk around looking like the sour expression on our driver's license photo <clears throat> and we have to to go through life looking like somebody licked all the red off of our lollipop. But but clearly that was not the case in the very beginning of the church. Because the early church fathers focused on the fact that the disciples must have been so surprised and so happy to see their risen friend and master, our Lord Jesus, appearing to them alive that they would have been totally ecstatic, completely filled with joy. I mean, just imagine, this is the resurrection of jesus christ that we're talking about people how would you react if someone you had loved and lost to death suddenly appeared in this room what, what do you think the apostles did give jesus a blank stare and a polite applause yay jesus right folks this is the most incredible comeback story of all time right they would have jumped for joy they would have hugged each other they probably danced around a little bit, right? I'll bet you they even laughed right out loud in joy and relief when Jesus appeared in that upper room. And it's that feeling that the early church fathers didn't want us to lose. They even had a name for it. They called it Rhesus Piscalis. Protestant Germans in the Reformation picked up that train of thought and they called it Osterlachen, but either way, it means the Easter laugh. It's mentioned in the uh, great writings of early church theologians like Augustine and Gregory of of Nyssa and John Chrysostom, and, and that theme of joy and laughter that the resurrection of Jesus inspired has been passed down through the ages. In fact, Martin Luther wrote, Our God is not a God of sadness, but the God of this world, the devil, is. Christ is a God of joy, and it is pleasing to our dear God whenever one rejoices or laughs from the bottom of their hearts. Uh, that's why the early, uh, in the early centuries... Of christianity easter celebrations went on for days often for a, a whole week one historian said in the early days of christianity all of easter week was one continuous feast a week of intense happiness and spiritual joy it spawned the celebration of easter monday that re, remains a legal holiday in most european countries it was also called bright sunday or holy humor sunday and he continues to write that most Presbyterian and Methodist and other Protestant churches have begun over the past 50 years or so to celebrate and rediscover it here in the U.S. on this first Sunday after Easter. And that happened because recognizing, as the early church did, that our worship should be characterized by gladness and the joy of the Lord. And I'm so glad that we have that here in this church. Right? At least I think we do, right? Right? I don't think I've ever ever attended a church that I've laughed so much and had so much fun, but at the same time, seen the Spirit move among a group of people in such a mighty way. But, you know, I think we can go further than that and have that kind of joy in our individual lives, too, because I don't know about you, but in my own life, and I'm sure this is true in yours, it's sometimes a lot easier to be filled with joy and gladness when we're here in the sanctuary all together but then you start to kind of lose that as the weekly grind goes on, right? With our own private worries. The worries over the state of your life and, and your health and the circumstances going on in the world. But you know, it doesn't have to be that way. Because King Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes that there's a time for everything, including a time to laugh. And I'm going to suggest that that time is now. It's today. The time to laugh at all the things that try to snuff out joy. Joy to laugh at all those things that pretend to be all-powerful, like the cruelty and madness of the world, and most especially, to laugh at death. Uh, Not because we have on rose-colored glasses, not because we don't care about the suffering of the world, not because we're immune to personal trials, but because Jesus sweeps them all away with the wonderful joy and the promise of the resurrection. Because in the, the cross and resurrection... Jesus Christ fought a great battle on our behalf and defeated the powers of evil that held us bondage. And in his victory, that last enemy of the human race is defeated. Uh, Making Easter God's supreme joke over the powers of death. Because now the Jesus whom the disciples had all mourned as dead was not only alive again, but in his spirit had so infused them with himself that they could now face anything, anything that life threw their way. Uh, In other words, in in raising Jesus, God has the last laugh. And, you know, as that old proverb goes, he who laughs last, laughs best. And, you know, I I realize that uh, not many of us were brought up to believe that church was a place of laughter. Right? I told you before, if anybody ever raised their hand in our church back home, you better have to go to the bathroom. (laughs) Right? So, you know, church is normally a place of tears, not laughter. I know I told you before, too, one writer has said that we Protestants appear to have been not only washed in the blood but starched completely stiff in it too (laughs) Uh, and when we're so deadly serious so much of the time we can make christianity seem more like a burden than a blessing and the world out there is watching us i think it was a french skeptic voltaire who once said you christians are going to have to look a lot more happy to be redeemed if you expect me to believe in your redeemer and i think he had a point now, certainly, faith is serious, and the message of the cross is no joke. But at the same time, as followers of Jesus today, we can view the tragedy of the cross through the lens of the resurrection, and let us uh, let it bring us a holy joy, a, a sanctified excitement, an ecstatic Osterlocken, and let our face look like we love God and we're genuinely happy for what He's done for us. How much more inviting would our worship services be to outsiders? If we embody that and help them to hear God's holy laughter. But you and I have to hear it first. So, do you? Do you hear the laughter of God? Do you hear the laughter of God rumbling through the universe? Do you hear the unseen choirs who are singing hosannas in exultation while the galaxies whirl in their joyous dance before the Lord? Because you know, you have a standing invitation to God's party to his wedding banquet, to the joyous feast of the Lord. And if you've accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your soul and of your life, your place at his table is reserved, and it's waiting. One author put it like this. He said, We need not fear, for the last enemy is defeated. We need not deny that we are dying, for now it has lost its threat to us. We need not deny that we're getting older, for every day leads us closer to joining Christ in his victory. We need not cower before illness or pain anymore for the worst thing that could possibly happen to us, he writes, is that we could die. And he finishes by saying, so what? You hear that death? So what? So what? So what if I die? If I die, I join Christ in eternity, an eternity that's happier than this life and more fun than this life and has more security and no tears, no sorrow, no crying, not even any nighttime. Revelation 21, 4 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any pain, for the former things are passed away. Did you catch that last phrase? You, you know, when someone dies, we usually say they've what? Passed away. But when you get to the end of the Bible, when you get to the conclusion of the book, John tells us that death passed away. And now we have hope. Hope that because he lives, we too will live. Because God has had the last laugh and always will in the empty tomb of Easter. And speaking of that, did you, did you hear the story about the two soldiers that were guarding the tomb? After the stone had been rolled away and, and the tomb was revealed as empty, uh, the one guard looked to the other and said, well, I... I guess now there's only one thing for certain in life, just taxes, (laughs) right? And so too for us, right? See, in our world, taxes uh, are a certainty and they're also no joke. But just as certainly for all who believe in Jesus, death has lost its sting. I mean, perhaps, you know, God's healing and medical technology might be able to restore our life a time or two, but these bodies will die. But death will not be the last word, and death will not have the last laugh, because the last laugh and the last word belongs to our God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you so much for the joy of this holy Eastertide. We thank you uh, just for the unbelievable love that you've shown to us in your Son. And so, Father, we ask you'd send us out from here with joyful hearts, ready to serve you, Uh, with joyful faces ready to uh, give a smile to someone or be a a word of comfort or an ear to hear. Uh, And fill us, Father, with your Holy Spirit that we can carry the joy of this season everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen.